I'm George Mason, host of Good God, Conversations That Matter About Faith and Public Life. I'm joined today by Rabbi Nancy Kasten, who'll be talking about her passion for social justice and how it is rooted in her Jewish religious tradition. Welcome to Good God, Conversations That Matter About Faith and Public Life. I'm glad to welcome today Rabbi Nancy Kasten, uh, my good friend and colleague here in Dallas, who uh, not only has uh, her own um, history of ministry in the Dallas area at, as far as being a chaplain at one time, but has continued that work in uh, her community organizing and in her uh, social justice uh, leadership by being co-chair of Faith Forward Dallas, which is a multi-faith organization, mostly of clergy and religious leaders addressing things in public life that are important to the community. Nancy, thank you for being with me today. Thank you for Glad inviting me. You. Wonderful. So Nancy, uh, if one of the things that I go through as a Baptist, a Christian minister, but specifically a Baptist, if I tell people, you know, well, I'm uh, I'm, a, I'm a Baptist, they immediately think they know what that means, right? You know, and I have to, sometimes I, I like to say, well, not that kind of Baptist before we even get started, you know, because there are more different, uh, well, there are different kinds of Baptist uh, traditions and certainly ours is, uh, is, is not the same as so Southern Baptists generally, um, but you are part of the Reformed Jewish movement and so when someone says, well, you are a Jewish rabbi, what does that mean exactly in your tradition versus what it might mean in another uh, Jewish tradition? Um, well, first of all, I would say that in general, these movements are quite um, um, integrated and, you, and it's hard, and, and I, I don't like making too many generalizations, but I do think when it comes to rabbinic leadership, there are some expectations that go along with the different movements. Mm -hmm. um, Orthodox is very much focused on um, the, the, both the written law and the oral law, meaning the laws that come from the Talmud, what we call halacha, the mm -hmm. way of leading your life, the, all of the laws regarding keeping kosher and keeping the Sabbath and um, those kinds of personal behaviors. Yes. Um, whereas the reform movement has been based um, really on the prophetic call in mm -hmm. the Hebrew Bible to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Mm -hmm. um, reform Judaism, so before reform Judaism, it was all what we would call traditional. There were no, yes. um, there were no distinctions really being made, and right. some would categorize that all as being orthodox. I'm not sure that that was true. Mm -hmm. um, we certainly can look at different varieties of the ways that religious mm -hmm. life was played out in different communities, but, um, but the reform movement became a movement, and in a way all the other movements reacted to that. And reform you know, was based in assimilation, basically, and saying that we, we will be Jewish in our homes and in our synagogues, but we also want to bring these, um, the values of our tradition and our faith into the world in meaningful yes. ways right. at, in our interactions with others. Well, and that's, 
I suppose, rooted historically, too, in what happened in Europe in mid-century, right, uh, the last century, as there was a sense of uh, Jews being scapegoated as they have been throughout the history of uh, their, the history of their existence by those in the dominant culture uh, for their difference, right? So the uh, pogroms and the, the ghettos of Poland and, uh, and the, then the Holocaust was lo largely attributable to this, this feeling of being different. And reform movement was uh, trying to find a new way in, in the United States and in terms of relating to neighbors uh, in, in a way that you, you were going to be as American as anyone else, right, in some sense? Well, I mean, I think that that was true in Germany, too. I mean, I mm -hmm. think that was kind of the real wake-up call in a certain way right. that we sometimes forget now that we're, we've been in the United States and feel so comfortable and mm -hmm. cozy. And I think some of the recent events have shown us that, yes. you know, history has repeated itself and it mm -hmm. may not be done. Yes. Um, you know, so we we have to figure, figure all of that out. Um, yeah. You know, I think the the wake up call, the tragedy, the um, disappointment about humanity that was the lesson of the Holocaust was, that, you know, despite the fact that um, the reform movement originated in Germany in the 18th century mm -hmm. and um, Jews represented a vast majority of the physicians and or right. a large percentage of physicians mm -hmm. and. Um, other professionals, educators, and business people, trusted sure. people in the community, sure. and right. yet they were they were all um, categorized as one. Exactly mm -hmm. right. Yeah. But in Reformed Judaism, there is this a clear sense of a passion for the repair of the world. Uh, this this uh, uh, tikkun olam is, is is that the way you say tikkun olam? Tikkun olam. Okay, got my Hebrew pronunciation. <laughs> we'll here, work right? on we'll it. work on that. Okay. But, uh, but there is this, uh, this, this sense of duty to be participating in God's uh, redemptive work in the larger world, not only in the home, not only in our own community. And this is something you're doing even here in Dallas, where I know that we partner on uh, numerous matters of social justice. Uh, how is that rooted for you in terms of your religious tradition? Where do you find the, the source of inspiration for that? Well, uh, you know, our, our liturgy, and it, it, this is not limited to Reform Judaism mm -hmm. by any means, but our liturgy, you know, um, um, emphasizes the role of Jews in um, repairing the world in, in um, the way that God would want us to. Mm -hmm. uh, we have, in, from the very beginning of the story of creation, we have this mm -hmm. idea that we are all created with um, in God's image, and yes. therefore we have responsibility to preserve that image in every other mm -hmm. being that we encounter. Mm -hmm. um, we have a sense of, you know, being responsible. The world, the earth is the Lord's yes. in the fullness, and we are here as caretakers of the world and yes. of the earth and of each other. And mm -hmm. you know, that's our um, reason for being here. And specifically, when when then we look at the call to, to uh, the people Israel, the children of Israel, mm -hmm. that call has to do with um, remembering the fact that we were slaves in Egypt right. and seeing right. ourselves always in that um, framework that we've been um, redeemed yes. and that in a way that gives us some sense of responsibility for 
um, every the other marginalized of person, every, everyone else who's oppressed, and uh, and this is true of our Christian faith as well. So when 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 we think about what is our reason for being, what is our mission to the world, um, obviously some uh, would focus more on uh, the relationship of loving God, uh, but loving the neighbor is an absolutely important part of that too. Jesus said, uh, he talk, talked about it being uh, the first and second commandments, but in sort of a Hebraic sense, he meant that as one, not two, right? It was mm -hmm. more of a parallelism uh, that these things can't be separated. They have to be the same. And when we think about who we were, we were once the marginalized too. Uh, were it not for being uh, uh, the community of Israel being open to us spiritually in some way uh, so that we could share in the favor and blessings of God as uh, our, our Jewish sisters and brothers have preserved the witness uh, to, to open it to Gentiles, we would be lost as well. And so there's, there's part of this sense of, uh, I think about if, if we think of ourselves as being um, the privileged, we forget where we came from. Wait, so go back and explain that to me more, that, yes. you're, that Israel opens itself up to you. How do you, how do you see that? So, I, I mean, I, we draw upon this idea of Israel being uh, commissioned to be a light to the Gentiles, mm -hmm. a light to the nations, and that, in, that, that the presence of, the, of Christians in the world is a part of the success of Israel in its witness to the nature of God and to our ability to see and learn what your mission to the world has been. So though we are different, though we are not the same religion, though we are uh, followers of Jesus as the, as the Messiah and the Christ, nonetheless Jesus was um, embodied this mission that went beyond the bounds of uh, his Jewish identity repeatedly talking about uh, drawing upon sources like of uh, Elijah and um, the, the widow of Zarephath and some of these stories, Naaman the Syrian, where these outsiders were um, healed and were met by the healing powers of the prophets and the like. So we consider ourselves to be, in a sense, at our best, I hope, uh, that we are the benefactors of Israel's witness. That's a great um, way of formulating it and uh, a perspective that I don't think we hear very often. Well, you know, uh, you and I obviously go to Israel and talk about these things and David and your husband, David Stern, uh, and I, have, we've done the um, preacher and the rabbi thing many times <laughs> in public. And they always ask the question at some point, you know, does, uh, okay, George, David will say, okay, George, I have to ask you the question, and, you know, are, are we going to hell because we don't believe in Jesus? And, and, and you know, it, it's, it's a way of reframing this thing, I think, that's really important, and that is that the, so many Christians have over time thought of um, the, uh, the, the fact that we have faith at all to be the product somehow of, uh, the failure of the Jews to uh, put their faith and trust in Jesus, when in a, in, in a sense, 
the, our very existence as a people of God who worship the same God as you, uh, even if somewhat differently understood, nonetheless is a product of your success in your mission, not your mm -hmm. failure. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, you know, we, we look to Jesus as a way of saying, here is the bridge. He is both the one that connects us and the one that divides us. You know, it's, it's a re remarkable uh, thing in our uh, continuing existence that uh, he becomes both of those things at the same right. time, right? Yeah. Well, we w I'd like to explore a little more with you some of the specific things that you're working on and that you're passionate about in the repair of the world. Uh, when we come back in a moment, uh, we want to hear about another partner in our community that's doing good work in repairing the world. The picture of homelessness in Dallas, without a doubt, includes children, children with moms and or dads. The problem is clear, but the solution is even clearer. Vogel Alcove invites you to be part of the solution by helping to give back the safety, comfort, and community that homelessness has taken from these children. Your generous gift today starts helping the children at Vogel Alcove tomorrow continue their recovery from the effects of homelessness. What you can give them now is their chance to just be kids. Nancy, we talked about um, your passion for social engagement and uh, addressing some of the injustices of society, care for the marginalized and the oppressed and those sorts of things. Uh, what sort of things are you passionate about yourself? What issues in our society uh, are you working on right now? Well, um, for better or for worse, I get passionate about a lot of different <laughs> issues. And that's part of the problem. It's, you focus on one and all of a sudden something happens, that's right? That's right. Yeah. Or you just wake up to something new and yes. think, I, I need to work on that. Right. Um, or you meet somebody, I mean, a lot of times it'll be meeting somebody or hearing somebody that really, um, you know, creates Moves a you. sense of urgency. Right. Yes. So, um, so I think, you know, in when I think about what has been more consistent um, engagement opportunities for me and, and that I've pursued, um, certainly um, the interfaith work and mm -hmm. finding common ground with people of different faiths who, who um, are all looking for ways to create a more equitable, mm -hmm. safer, Good. more just, yes. uh, more sustainable life for we can just start right here in Dallas, right and, here in Dallas. and do the concentric circles. Well, right, and this, this goes to your being part of uh, the chaplaincy program at SMU, where you were a Jewish chaplain, but you were in a, a, a very deliberate interfaith setting uh, in, in that chaplaincy work. And now as one of the three co-chairs of Faith Forward Dallas, which is such an evolving, um, thing that we, we're not even sure how to define it, but it nonetheless brings together people around the table, you uh, representing the Jewish community, uh, and then um, Michael Waters, uh, Reverend Michael Waters, uh, the pastor of an African Methodist Episcopal church, actually two of them uh, mm -hmm. here in Dallas, uh, is the Christian religion, and then uh, Imam uh, Omar uh, Solomon, 
who is uh, obviously representing the Muslim community. When we're in that room, though, together, there are people of all other kinds of faiths, too. Yeah. These three Abrahamic faiths maybe represent uh, not just their own traditions, but also the, the hospitable table of, uh, of how we want to, to make a place for everyone. So. Yeah, and I, th I think that the reason that Faith Forward came together was to show that we are, we are, these are people who believe we are all in this together. Yes. And that building walls or excluding people from opportunities or uh, transporting them back to other places or incarcerating them or mm -hmm. otherwise right. uh, limiting their mm -hmm. futures and their way of life are really not based in any of our faith traditions right. in the way that we understand them. And right. that, un, that and this is where, you know, I also do a lot of work with Jewish mindfulness. That's something very important to me. And mm -hmm. that's where I, you know, I, the Jewish mindfulness comes in, the, or the mindfulness in general, that we're all connected, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. we're all part of one thing, yes. that we're all interdependent. Mm -hmm and that there is an abundance for all of us if we just open our eyes to it and allow ourselves to see it. Now see, isn't that at the root of biblical faith overall? That there is the fruit of creation, the, the way God has made things is that there is a continual making, a continual flourishing of creation. And when we begin to think that the pie is finite and we have to get a greater piece of it, then we begin to fight with one another over land or resources or dignity or um, privilege or whatever, when in fact, uh, the, the heart of our faith is that there really is enough for everyone. Exactly, right. and that goes for all of our faiths. It does, absolutely. One of the things that happens in these conversations and these gatherings is we're not, we don't end up just talking about uh, the question of how to respond to another shooting in a school, uh, the, the strategy about gun control, although we do that, and yeah. we are doing that, especially with the NRA convention coming in, in Dallas in, in May, uh, and we, we talk about how to respond to that. But when we do, we're drawing upon what is it in our faith tradition that speaks to this? And then we listen over here and we hear, well, that sounds like ours, but it's not, right? And well, that sound, and, and, and isn't it interesting that there's some version of the golden rule that we find in every one of our traditions? Uh, and, and it's fascinating to hear these echoes and it just makes you think there is a oneness underneath it all. Absolutely. And the repair of the world is to return us to that oneness, not to divide us from each other. Well, and I think what's um, been so interesting in doing this work, and I know that others who've, from other faith traditions, experience it as well, mm -hmm. is that sometimes I think people like to come to our gatherings for Faith Forward in part because we sometimes are not so in sync with people from our own traditions on some of these issues. <laughs> That's true. That's and true. we find these like-minded people right. or like-hearted people yes. um, in a setting and, and from, 
superficially one might think that they're so different than us and yet right. we have this common ground. Right, right. So one of the things that we've done recently is uh, we brought Reverend William Barber uh, to town and Michael Waters was particularly instrumental in uh, making that connection and he came to speak at Temple Emmanuel but Wilshire Baptist Church and Temple Emmanuel uh, co-sponsored uh, that event and it, it was like a high holy day wasn't it? <laughs> I, I mean it was packed, uh, packed, it was packed with people uh, and so it, it was a it was quite an event uh, and uh, I think there was a lot of energy in the room but he is trying very much I think to uh, bring about what he talks about as a kind of moral movement in our country uh, that involves not only his own Christian tradition but people of other faith traditions as well. And uh, he, he's picking up this late in life uh, emphasis of Martin Luther King, uh, who uh, moved from merely a, a racial focus to an economic justice focus. And this poor people's campaign is beginning to gain some steam. Can you talk a little bit about the contours of that and what you think might be happening? Well, I think that Reverend Barber is interested in bringing people together who have been woke, right? In a Who've certain been woke, way, right? that's right, exactly. Um, if you think about all of our faith traditions, descriptions of people who are either born again or, yes. you know, or have this Awakening. epiphany of some epiphany, kind. Epiphany, exactly, the they, language. You know, um, yes. they get God. Right. You know, uh -huh. um, there are people because of some of the things that have been happening in our country in the past few years that have all of a sudden recognized that the way we thought things were are really not the way yes. that they are. Like we've, mm -hmm. we've been living our own uh, life in yes. a certain kind of way mm -hmm. and now it's not just that we're noticing that other people aren't leading their lives that way. We can't lead our lives the way we led them once either. And right. it comes back to that idea that, you know, we really do depend on one another and we really are in this all together. And mm -hmm. the reactions of that, uh, to that have been on, you know, the extremes, right? Of course. Um, mm -hmm. And on both extremes, not necessarily so positive. Right. Um, so I think that what Reverend Barber is attempting is to bring a um, faith-based focus to these injustices, these mm -hmm. inequities, mm -hmm. um, the pain and brokenness of our country yes. in a way that brings people together that allows them to have experiences like the one at Temple Emanuel that mm -hmm. night in January where we can sing together and we can breathe together and mm -hmm. we can um, smile at each other mm. and we can hug each other and we can cry with one another and too. we can cry with each other and, and i think you know feeling the hurt of the world uh as well as feeling the joy of life these are both emotions that are deeply important to a full faith right uh and, and motivating too yes. uh, not one without the other both um but we to to be woke, as you say, you know, and as we we talk about uh, waking up to what's happening, is to realize that we are making choices about the way the world is set up, uh, and we can make other choices. Right. You know. Right. And that, but also that we can't make choices 
for the world. We can only make choices for ourselves. Right, right. And I think going back to that sense of pain, I think you're right. You know, I think there are many, many, many people who are in deep pain, and some of them express it in ways that are, um, you know, that bring a lot of violence and yes. hatred into the world. But um, I think when you do provide opportunities for people who are experiencing their pain to acknowledge it in community and yes. to see others who are also, you know, to know that they're not the only ones and mm -hmm that you don't have to have the answer to yes. the pain in order to actually acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a very um, reassuring experience. Well, and it's really fascinating to think about that that's the perspective from which the Bible is written generally, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Look at the Psalms, right? I, I mean, the, the <laughs> Psalms and Job and all of this where uh, for once the history is told from the underside. For once, the pain gets a voice. For once, empire is exposed, and the emperor has no clothes. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and it it is it. No matter how eternal it looks, power that is vest that is uh, entrenched uh, in systems that are governed by violence and control over other people, they will they won't last. Right. And so part of what we have in our very biblical traditions is this uh, example of how when you let the pain speak and when you let people who are hurting and who have been victimized have a voice and you don't try to tell their story for them or interpret it, now you're starting to hear uh, the genuine voice of God at work in the world. And that's a beautiful thing right. to watch, isn't it? Right, and yeah. it is. Yeah, so uh, this is the kind of work we're we're getting into. You know, I think all of our traditions struggle with. It, isn't it just enough to change people's hearts and attitudes on the one hand, uh, and uh, others think, well, no, that's not important. It it it's just about policy. If we could just change policy, then everything would be okay. But it's really not such a binary thing, is it? It's uh, there's there's an either or. There's not an either or. It's a both end. Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, giving people new ways to look at things mm -hmm. that are different than the mm -hmm. ways they have looked at them before, and um, seeing possibilities and opportunities rather than threats. Yes. In, yes. You know, I mean, we and I think, um, you know, it's really really hard right now because there is such uncertainty and mm -hmm. we don't mm -hmm. really know what the leadership of our country is going right. to do in any given day or right. moment right. and you know there's such diversity in right. responses and in um, mm -hmm. and so you don't when you don't know what to expect of course the immediate response is going to be fear right yes. we're human we're going right. to we're going to be scared when yes. we see something that's not familiar that we can't trust or that we don't know whether or not to believe. Mm -hmm. So we have to really do a lot of work to, to turn that fear into a sense of opportunity and potential. It, we do, but this is where I always look for the bright side of this, is that in moments like this, we are in a position because exactly. of our faith tradition exactly. to be able to offer an alternative that is timeless, that it's, it's enduring and it's proven and we can say, Life can be rooted in love, not fear. 
But that's why we have to get together with yes. other people, <laughs> other clergy who are doing the same thing because it exactly. can get lonely and, and challenging. Exactly. And one of the beautiful things, and I thank you for your leadership about this in Dallas, really, because we have both been here long enough to have known how isolated uh, our religious traditions have been very often and how uh, difficult it has been to respond with uh, a harmonious voice, not one voice, but at least a harmony of voices to the challenges of our, our community. And, and you have joined with others in creating a model here that calls everybody to the table and gives an opportunity to hear uh, a really beautiful word of hope. And I thank you for it. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of it. And thank you for doing everything that you're doing to help people see the potential and opportunities in very challenging times. They really are. Well, good to be in it with you. Thanks for being on Good God. Thank you, George. Okay, Nancy. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Guest coordination and social media by Upward Strategy Group. Here's grateful appreciation to Evolve Technology for location production facilities. Evolve Technology for home audio, video, and lighting design. Enjoy more, think less with Evolve. See their great work at EvolveDallas.com. Thanks to Wendy Crispin Caterer for guest parking accommodations. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2018 by Faith Commons. The picture of homelessness in Dallas, without a doubt, includes children, children with moms and or dads. The problem is clear, but the solution is even clearer. Vogel Alcove invites you to be part of the solution by helping to give back the safety, comfort, and community that homelessness has taken from these children. Your generous gift today starts helping the children at Vogel Alcove tomorrow continue their recovery from the effects of homelessness. What you can give them now is their chance to just be kids.